Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, Doug Lamarice. In the media room on New Year's Eve, it is 2019 in Ohio, it is 2018 in California, and we are going to do another live Buckeye Talk from the Rose Bowl. I'm going to corral some potentially inebriated Ohio State beat writers to join me on the podcast because we got a couple reviews overnight. Uh, One said they liked me on the solo podcast. And the other said that on the solo podcast, I am a rambling mess that is basically unlistenable. And that's probably true. So we'll try to find some friends because we're going to make this a game preview. Because I am wearing a goofy hat and we're in the media room and I don't have your questions. Oh, they're showing... Was that Wright Thompson? Was that when Wright Thompson got to drive around with Urban? Now I'm getting mad. They're showing on ESPN like an Urban Meyer retrospective. And one time when he got here in 2012, they let Wright Thompson drive around with Urban Meyer. And it's like, yeah, if I got to drive around with Urban Meyer, I'd write a great story too. So um, anyway, Urban Meyer hoisting the trophy with Michael Drake behind him. Um, We're going to talk about this game. I wrote a preview that's going to be up on Cleveland.com Tuesday morning. I do think a lot of this is Ohio State passing game versus Washington secondary. Byron Murphy is going to be a first-round pick. I think he's going to go pro. He's a redshirt sophomore. He's like a legit guy. And they play aggressive coverage. Uh, they try to keep you from beating um, beating them deep. Washington, believe it or not, is the only team in the country that has not allowed a pass play of at least 40 yards this year. Ohio State has 14 plays of at least 40 yards. Um this is, and I think they just had it on ESPN, this is everybody's game preview. It's strength versus strength. I don't know that you're worried about Jake Browning, a Washington quarterback who threw 47 touchdowns passes as a sophomore and has thrown like 30-something in the two years since. Um, I didn't research enough what happened to him, but he fell off a cliff. He was making some jokes during media day about it, sort of comparing himself to uh, to JT Barrett at times. It's sort of you stick around, you're there a long time, and then maybe people get sick of you a little bit. But JT Barrett's performance didn't fall off a cliff like Jake's Brown, Jake Browning has. Uh, Miles Gaskin 
Washington's running back as their workhorse back. He's had more than 200 carries, more than 1,000 yards for all four of his college seasons. He's had 921 carries in his career. When I told Miles Gaskin that at interviews a couple days ago, he was like, wow, that is a lot. Like I said, are you tired? And he said, yeah, well, kind of thinking of that, that's pretty tired. This is the media behind me. I'm get, you're getting a little live look, live look. Some of you aren't going to like this podcast because they're screaming media people, but I'm giving you a live look. So Miles Gaskin has about as many carries as Mike Weber this year. And Mike Weber shared the load. I'm sorry, as, as J.K. Dobbins. And J.K. Dobbins and Miles Gaskin have about the same number of carries. Dobbins and Weber shared the load. Gaskin had it by himself. So, see, inebriated. You'll be on. You'll be on. So, um, Washington ran about 200 fewer plays than Ohio State this season in 13 games. 200 fewer plays. So, whatever the math is on that, you know, about 13 or 14 extra plays a game. This Ohio State offense just got it done. They're more up-tempo stuff. That just gives you a little hint of how these teams go about it. So I just, I, I just don't see a world where this Washington offense is going to muster anything. Washington and Utah played a very low-scoring game in the Pac-12 title game, and you thought, oh, man, maybe they're both great defenses. And then Utah goes out and blows a lead and gives it up to Northwestern today. Northwestern puts up a bunch of points late. I think some of those were defensive scores. Um, but still, okay, well, how great is Utah when a Northwestern team that Ohio State handled pretty handily by, by three scores ends up Putting it on Utah. That was the undercard in the Holiday Bowl in San Diego to this Rose Bowl game. So I just don't see a world where uh, Ohio State is going to have much trouble with this. And I did a video on this, and I'm going to tell you guys in the podcast. If they have a comfortable lead, I'm very curious to watch Urban Meyer in the fourth quarter. I told my photographer, not my photographer, our plane dealer photographer, Marvin Fong, who's one of the best sports shooters in Ohio and in the country. He's out here. He's been shooting Ohio State games since longer than I've been covering the team. This is my 14th season. I said, watch Urban Meyer at the end of the third quarter as the fourth quarter starts. That's when Urban Meyer says every game. I take off my headset and I listen to Hang On Sleepy. And that is the moment. Whenever you ask him, what is the moment for you in a game? What do you really appreciate about being the Ohio State coach? That's what he references. Hang On Sleepy between the third and fourth quarter. If I could tell Urban Meyer something, I'd say, keep your headset off in the fourth quarter and soak up this last quarter. If the team can win without you, tell Ryan Day his head coaching career started early. He's got the fourth quarter. Walk that sideline. Enjoy your team. Watch this game. Soak up the Rose Bowl. Soak up your final quarter as Ohio State's head coach. So I'm very curious to watch the emotions of Urban Meyer in this game, particularly if there's a lead to see if this really hits him, right? He was emotional off the national title game in 2014. He was emotional after the Michigan game this year. I'm curious how he handles it, and I do think they're going to have a comfortable lead. Um, Landis, do you want to come in for a couple minutes? Sure. And then we'll get to Swasi. We're going we're gonna to bring back some old friends and make them talk right into the phone. Bill Landis joining us. I pulled him over from the other table. What's the scenario to you, Bill? And, and I don't know. Uh, you noted that I had been calling Washington – Wisconsin Northwest, you found you thought there was a, a more apt Big Ten comparison for the Huskies. Yeah, I think they're more like Michigan because Wisconsin, for as uh, blah as it is, at least knows what it wants to do offensively. I don't 
get the impression that Washington does, much like I haven't really gotten the impression over Jim Harbaugh's tenure that Michigan knows what it wants to do offensively, particularly this year when I had Shane Patterson. Um, there's just nothing really about the offense that, that – is worrying. I think Miles Miles Gaskin's a good athlete, and I guess if he broke a if he broke a long run, I wouldn't be surprised. I think he has the speed to run away from guys. But if you're playing Wisconsin, you know they're going to run the ball with a massive offensive line. And Jonathan Taylor, it's pretty good running back. I know he wasn't good against when they played last year, but you would I think you can bet on them at least trying to do that. I don't know what you bet on with Washington or what you're confident in with Washington, other than it's got a good secondary. So I almost feel like Wisconsin's too good for that comparison. And Michigan, I think, is. A little more makes a little more sense sideways shot at Michigan respect um, the the Ohio State offense we know and as I've been talking to guys about the Ohio State offense I talked to Terry McLaurin at Disneyland about it talked to KJ Hill about it Dwayne Haskins got a million questions about it I feel like the last three games since Michigan State in Michigan State, it was not a, the best weather day. Michigan State has a pretty decent defense. That's actually a defense that Dwayne Haskins used as a comparison for Washington, um, more in personnel than anything else he said. But against Maryland, against Michigan, and pretty much against Northwestern, this felt like an offense that had come together, that was clicking on all cylinders. Is that what you expect? Why? What would prevent Ohio State from being an offense that can throw it short, throw it intermediate, throw it deep, run the ball, have a plan, why wouldn't we see that in the Rose Bowl? Because that's certainly expecting – that's what I expect to see. Yeah, I mostly expect that too. I I think the only thing that would lead to that not happening is the offensive line and what's going on there. I, I They keep saying Thayer Munford's a game-time decision. I'm, I'm assuming he's not going to play. So you have Josh Alloway starting at left tackle. Um, Isaiah Prince was not practicing the day that we were one of the days we were watching practicing. He was practice. He was held out. He posted himself on social media looking he was back in practice. I don't know what his deal is. I thought maybe he was sick when we saw him at the beef bowl. He just looked like he was under the weather a little bit. And if that's the case, I guess he'll be fine. But even with that, even if you have the four normal starters and Josh Allen be starting a left tackle, I think putting in one new offensive lineman is enough to throw some things off a little bit. But. I don't think Josh Hallaby is going to mean that Ohio State's entire offense is going to fall apart. So I thought, the like you said, the last three games of the year were the best that they played, was their best three performances all strung together in a row um, against two pretty good defenses in Michigan and Northwestern. <coughs> you know, a fairly good defense in, in Maryland. Maryland's defense isn't terrible. Um, so I expect mostly the same against Washington. The, the offensive line worries me a little bit, but I think they'll be okay. I mean, when I asked the question, like, what could throw them off? That actually is a thing. I mean, like, the idea that it's like, well, there is something that has changed. And actually, I talked to Josh Allaby at Media Day for about three minutes before I went over and covered myself in the glory of Tate Martell. <laughs> Um, I went to Josh Allaby first right off the bat. Josh Allaby said they told him that he's going to start in Columbus. Oh, really? So, so Josh Allaby said he found out like before they flew to California, you are starting in the Rose Bowl, Josh Allaby. So they keep saying game time decision. I'm not sure why. Josh Allaby told his parents that he's starting in the Rose Bowl. So, and then and Stud just said that that. Munford is just an accumulation of injuries. So I, I think we can assume that Josh Allaby is going to be out there. And that is a thing because you and I both wrote about this now that we work for separate publications. We both wrote about this to some degree. You wrote about it better than I did. After the Michigan game, 
they were super, super duper connected in that game. And that was that offensive success started with that offensive line. And what what it was about that offensive line was connectivity, was helping each other out. And so you've lost the veteran right guard. Now if you lose a guy on the left side too, you know, I think Wyatt Davis is good. He hasn't repped with the ones as much. I think Josh Allaby, I I was making the point, I think Josh Allaby is fine. There's always a difference to me when your backup is a young guy who's eventually going to be a starter versus your backup being a veteran who is always going to be a backup. I don't think Josh Allaby is ever going to start here. Maybe he could be in the fight for the right tackle job next year. I don't know. But – Wyatt Davis just came in early. Wyatt Davis was going to be a starting guard. He just got a couple extra games under his belt because Demetrius Knox got hurt. Does that give you more or less confidence? Who would you rather have as a backup? A Wyatt Davis of the world who you know he's going to start, but he's coming along, and the question is, is he ready? Or a Josh Allaby of the world who's as prepared as he can be, but he maybe just doesn't have starter-level talent because you don't ever have him really as a starter, as a plan. Who's a better backup? I think I would rather have Wyatt Davis because you can find, again, the Pat Elfline example from 2013. Even when you look at Brendan White and Chris Olave, sometimes these young guys that are like eventually going to start, sometimes they're ready earlier than coaches give them credit for, and coaches don't want to pull the trigger, but they've got the talent. But on the other hand, like a lot of coaches like old guys. So who's a better backup? I mean, I guess I guess I would like I would prefer the more talented player. So in that scenario, like I guess I would take the young guy who you project to be a multi-year starter rather than a guy who's just sort of plug and play, always going to be a backup. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the, that plug and play guy who's going to be a backup is going to be bad. Um, Josh Alby reminds me a lot of Chase Ferris. And I felt like I, when they, I remember, was it the Sugar Bowl? The Sugar Bowl, like Jacoby Boren got hurt. They put Pat Elfine at center and Chase Ferris to come in for a play and they scored a touchdown, I think. Um, like, I always, I, I, I like the security that, like, Chase Ferris brought, even though he wasn't, he hadn't even been an offensive lineman all that long. He clearly. Like Alibi, he went both ways. He ended up being a starter, but I don't know if anybody in that moment felt like, oh, yeah, Chase Ferris is going to be a starter in the line. It just sort of worked out that way. Um, but but I did feel a certain amount of security knowing, like, you know what, Chase Ferris has been around a while. I don't think he'll be overwhelmed. Maybe he's not the most talented guy in the world, but I think you can at least know that he's going to go in there and play hard and play smart. And if that was against Alabama, which is a different talent level, so maybe you feel a little differently. But against the Washington team, that's defensive line is not it's not the strength of the defense. Um I think I'd rather have like a Josh Allaby who has been around as a second year playing offensive line in the system, has a decent amount of experience for a backup. Like I'd rather have him in this game than like Nick Petit Frere, who I think is going to be a multi-year starter at offensive tackle and is probably more talented and more athletic than Josh Allaby, but I don't know if he's quite ready for this yet. All right, Landis, I'm going to kick you out before everyone falls in love with you all over again. But what's your score? How, how do you, if you, what's your synopsis of how you think maybe it plays out and, and what's your score? I, I, don't, I don't think Washington's going to be able to do a whole, month, a whole lot offensively. I, I said I think Gaskins might run for one or two long touchdowns, um, which has just been kind of par for the course for Ohio State's defense this year. I think that's okay, but just, I just don't think Washington can consistently pair that with anything else that's going to keep them in the game offensively. So, but I can see Washington getting getting two or three touchdowns, and I don't think they're going to be able to – Ohio State's going to be quite be able to throw the ball against Washington the way it has against some of these other teams they played lately. 
Um, for as good as Michigan's defense is, I think it's it's talent in the secondary is just okay. I think Washington's is better. They had two first round picks back there. I think they're a, a better coach team, or at least a team that's going to be able to make adjustments in a way that Michigan wasn't able to. Um, so I'm not I'm not on the lookout for a, a 60 bomb again from Ohio State's offense. Um, but I still think they win fairly comfortably. Um, I'll say uh, Ohio State 42, Washington 20. Yeah, that's like basically my score too. I think there's a lot of people in the either high 30s, low 40s for Ohio State and somewhere in the high teens to low 20s for Washington. Maybe about a three-score win, not a complete blowout where they don't belong on the same field, but I don't know that Ohio State fans will ever feel nervous at all in the game. Yeah. All right. I still love you. Thanks, man. And the people still love you too. Just don't – now, I don't want to get a bunch of reviews. One-star review. Boy, I sure miss Landis. Listen, we love him, but you can love the new version just as much. All right, get up. I I still listen to Buckeye talk, and I still think it's just as good. But I also thought that I was terrible on this podcast. Maybe that's something to do with it. But it's still good. You should listen to it. No, he he was not terrible. We miss him. Bill Landis, everybody. James Gregg, James Gregg, do you want to be on a podcast? You want me on the podcast? Yeah, how drunk are you? All right, that's good enough. Come on over. All right, James Grega, you're at BSB now, right? You've been around. Yeah, James Grega, he's a football coach, and that's why we're bringing him on because we're going to break down film. And we're going to put it on the – no, there's no film. But James Grega from BSB, give us your background as a football expert because I'm going to make you do some X and O's for the Buckeye Talk audience. So how did you get to be such a football expert? So I played football at Brunswick High School up in up in the Cleveland area. Um, played football there and then uh, came to Ohio State, played on the club team for two years and became a coach. Coach Westerville South was the quarterback's coach at Westerville South. Now I'm the head coach of the Ohio State club football team. So um, I have some coaching experience. It's not exactly at the highest level, but um, we won a division championship last year on the club football team. So, um, I mean, those are my credentials when it comes to coaching and X's and O's. You are the Ryan Day of the club football scene, it's sure. fair to say. So, when we think about, I want to talk about Ryan Day now, and I want to talk about X's and O's. And Dwayne Haskins has called Ryan Day the Sean McVay of college football. Um, I don't know. Like, he seems good. I like Ryan Day, but I can't tell if he's a genius or not. When you break him down, and I think we have to see what he's like as a leader, what he's like as a head coach. There's a big difference being a head coach and an offensive coordinator. But when you have looked at Ryan Day's offense for the past two years, especially the Dwayne Haskins offense with Ryan Day this year, like, what is the context of how well-designed and, and what kind of coordinator Ryan Day is? You definitely see a lot of his NFL experience in this year's offense because it's a lot less zone read like we saw with JT Barrett. It's a lot more traditional drop-back passing with Dwayne Haskins. And the concepts that we're seeing are very – it's a lot like West Coast style. You know, the ball's out quick, three, three-step drops, a lot of crossing patterns, a lot of stuff – that you know, Dwayne Haskins can push the ball downfield, but he's got so many weapons that if you get the ball in space and you get the ball short, higher percentage passes, and that's that's kind of where they've operated this season. There's a reason Dwayne Haskins' completion percentage is so high. Yes, it's because he's a great quarterback, but also the plays that Ryan Day is calling, they're very high percentage throws. And when you have the skill guys around a quarterback like Dwayne Haskins, they're going to make the plays in space and they're going to get those yards after catch, which has contributed to the school record that he has in passing this year. So I think it's a lot of um, Dwayne Haskins, yes, but it's also a lot of he's putting him in a position to to succeed, and I think that's a, there's a lot of NFL influence there. I really do. 
I, I think it was Lewis Riddick or someone the other day from ESPN, I think, tweeted, like, as I, I'm breaking down Dwayne Haskins, um, the structure and the execution and the design of this Ohio State offense is really something that it seems like, as you said, that people see that NFL influence. They have respect for Ryan Day. What is your level? What is your expectation for now when it's Ryan Day's show and Ryan Day is not necessarily because Urban Meyer, every time you ask Urban Meyer about the offense or a coordinator, he always says it's the Ohio State offense. That's not going to change. A guy can bring in his ideas, but we're not changing. We do what we do. How much do you think when Ryan Day is the head coach, it will change? Will, will it look different next year when it's totally Ryan Day instead of Ryan Day inside Urban Meyer's shell? Or what, you know, is this pretty much going to be it, do you think? I think it's going to depend on who the quarterback is. I really do. I think, you know, I don't think Dwayne Haskins is coming back, but if it is, it's obviously it's going to look like what it did this year. It might have to look a little different because you're going to have a lot of new pieces at wide receiver next year. But I think, you know, if Haskins were to return and shock everybody, then I think it would look a lot similar. But I think, you know, everybody kind of feels that it's either going to be Justin Fields or Tate Martell next year. And I think you're going to see a lot more zone read concepts. But I think also um, Ryan Day is a guy who likes to throw the ball. He's a, he's a lot of high percentage throws, a lot of crossing patterns. I don't think he's going to change all that much from what he did this year. And to be quite honest, I think – Urban Meyer kind of pulled back from that statement of, you know, this is all, this is our offense, this is what we do after Ryan Day did his one year last year. I think he saw what he was able to do with JT Barrett last year. And JT Barrett, we all know, he's a limited passer. Um, and I think he saw what Urban saw what Ryan Day was able to do with JT Barrett as a passer and 35 touchdown passes, I think. And he said, all right, maybe we can give him a little more free reign and I think we saw a lot of that this year I think I think he you know the formations were the same but the concepts and the way they did things I think there was a lot of Ryan Day there and I expect that to continue moving forward Urban Meyer did say that that this was by far in his career the most he had ever been hands-off with the offense and the play calling and I think it drove him nuts to some degree but he also knew it was the right thing to do. Obviously, you look at this offense and whatever they've done, especially the way they've evolved the last three games, they got it right. There's what they did against Michigan. There's nothing there to criticize. So they got to the point they needed to get to. James Gregg, as you break this game down, where are you with a pick? Where do you? How do you think this unfolds? You know, I really think I think I picked Ohio State by 15. I think I had 35-20. I think this is a game that's close early in the third quarter. And I think Ohio State gets that touchdown late, um, you know, with, with kind of the stadium anticipating the end of Urban Meyer's career. I think there's going to be a lot of electricity in that stadium tomorrow night. It's the Rose Bowl. Ohio State hasn't been here in nine years. Um, I think there's going to be – it's going to have a national championship-like atmosphere from Ohio State fans because of what's its you know, It's Urban's last game, probably Dwayne Haskins' last game. It's a lot of last times you're going to see a lot of these Ohio State legends. Um, and I think that's going to help Ohio State – as the game rolls on, um, I think it'll be tight early. I think because Washington's got some playmakers. Miles Gaskins is a legitimate, legitimate threat out of the backfield, and I think he's going to break off some big runs. But I think just at the end, when the game gets tight in the fourth quarter and winning time, I think the intangibles, the little things that Ohio State has going in their their direction, I think that's going to be what pushes them over the edge. Late touchdown. I don't know how, but. Late touchdown, 15-point win, and you know we'll probably see Urban, you know, lifted off on the shoulders of some of his players. James Grega, I call him Coach. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution to Buckeye Talk. You can read James at BSB. We're going to go to another outlet now. Dan Hope, come on over. We're going to have Dan Hope from Eleven Warriors come over, and Dan Hope 
who you guys have seen on the 11 Warriors TV show. You read about 11 Warriors. We're going to talk about a little bit something different because the first time that I, that we had Dan Hope on Buckeye Talk, we talked about Clemson, I think, one time. But you, I know you also have a lot of NFL draft experience, that you've been a guy who breaks stuff down. So I want to talk to you about Dwayne Haskins as a draft prospect. And with Justin Herbert staying at Oregon, a lot of people think Dwayne Haskins might be the first quarterback off the board. I'm going to go broad question with you first before we zero in. The way you've analyzed the draft in the past for a couple of years, when you look at Dwayne Haskins, what do you see as a pro prospect? I mean, I, I think he's got all the tools that you're looking for in an NFL quarterback. You're talking about a good size, a, a great arm, you know, somebody who's really got that ability to, to make any throw on the field. And I think that's what NFL teams are looking for. They want to see, can, can you make that 15-yard that out? Can you make that 25-yard deep ball? I think he's able to do all of those things that NFL scouts look for, and now it's just a matter of refinement. When NFL scouts are looking at quarterbacks, they're typically looking at, do you have the tools that we can work with? And I think that Dwayne has all of those things. I think they're, they're, they're going to look at some things. They're probably going to look at his footwork and say, this is something that can be cleaner. Uh, they're probably going to look at different mechanical things and think there's things that he can do better. But I think that you look at what he's done this year, his body of work, He's got all the tools to be a very high pick in this NFL draft, and I think somebody is going to fall in love with him as a franchise quarterback for their team. I love Dwayne Haskins. I think he's going to be good. I think he absolutely makes sense as the first quarterback off the board. If there's not a Baker Mayfield, there's not a Sam Darnold in this draft. The one thing that I've wondered about with Dwayne Haskins this year is it feels like a lot of the guys coming out of the out of the draft right now who have succeeded, whether it's Carson Wentz or Patrick Mahomes or Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, a lot of those guys are really good athletes. A lot of those guys are guys who are very comfortable getting out of the pocket and running or throwing on the move. I don't know that I don't think Dwayne Haskins is the same athlete as someone like Sam Darnold or Patrick Mahomes. Um, I've wondered how he would handle pressure at times. I feel like later in the year he got a little better with when he gets pressure, he can move away from it a little bit. But that part of it, in structure, making reads, analyzing defenses, being accurate, having arm strength, that's all there. Out of structure, under pressure, on the move, scrambling, where do you think Dwayne Haskins is there? Yeah, I think those are very good points because I think one of the things when I've studied the NFL draft in the past, one of the things I always look at as much as anything else of a quarterback is how they handle pressure because that's one of the biggest differences. Typically, when you go from a college game to the NFL game, typically you're facing a lot more pressure on every play. Typically, you have less time to throw, and typically your receivers are less open. So what I really like about Dwayne Haskins is He's shown he can put that ball on a dime. He can he can throw that perfectly placed pass 30 yards down the field. That's the number one thing you really need to succeed in the NFL. I think how he handles pressure is probably going to be one of the biggest question marks about him going in going into the draft. I think that's probably something that he's going to need to work on and is something that might take a little bit of experience his first couple of years in the NFL to develop. But the thing I like about Dwayne is that he always comes across as so calm, so cool. Not somebody who I think he can handle going to the NFL and maybe having a couple bad games and maybe getting beat up for a few games. And I think he can handle that and shake it off and bounce back and get better. I think some guys, if they go and they, they really get beat up their first year in the NFL, they're just never going to recover. I don't think that's Dwayne. I think Dwayne's resilient. I think that he can overcome those things. 
he's not a great athlete. He's definitely not a Patrick Mahomes in terms of what you can do. But we did see these last few games against Maryland, against Michigan. We started to see him show a little bit more mobility, a little bit more of that ability to run. And I think that if you have the passing ability he has, if you can just do that at an adequate level, which I think he showed those last few games but he can, I think he can make it. I think he can succeed in the NFL. We know you're working your butt off at 11 Warriors, so I don't know how much time do you da- – do, how much do you think about the NFL draft anymore? Are you still looking Not at stuff? as much as I used to. I try, I try to keep up. But usually come January is when I start to think about it a little bit more because during during the season you're just so busy. But I usually – usually as the next four months progress, I try to – I try to learn a little bit more about it. Not as much as I used to, but I do try to to kind of know who some of the prospects are. Okay, so I don't I think the draft order, I think the Giants picked like sixth. I believe. Yeah, the I know Cardinals are one. I think the 49ers and Raiders and um, maybe the Jets, I think, I think are up there. There are some teams and there's always trades. I think so the if, are up there too. So if, if people fall in love, they'll come get them. And we've seen that in the past. There's often trades at the top. But if you look right now, the Cardinals, they just took Josh Rosen. The Niners have Jimmy Garoppolo. The Jets have Sam Darnold. Are the Raiders uh, – Derek Carr actually played pretty well in the last six weeks of the year. Dwayne Haskins grew up in New Jersey before he went to high school in Maryland. The, the, a lot of people thought maybe the Giants made a mistake with Saquon Barkley at two rather than Sam Darnold. There's been some debate now because Barkley was so good. Obviously, the value of a quarterback is higher, but if you think Barkley's a generational back – it feels like to me that if – okay, well, they didn't get Darnold, right? The Giants made that decision last year. If they follow that up with Dwayne Haskins, who, as you said, I think is cool, is personable, can handle the limelight, is a New Jersey kid, and now you pair that with Barkley and you say, well, we got the back and then we got the quarterback right afterward. You let him sit behind Eli for a year. I don't I – don't, I mean, it just happened, and it's not like I vandalized this. I don't know. That seems like that could work to me, though. Haskins and the Giants at six. I agree. I really like that fit because you put them on a team. You've got Saquon Barkley. You've got a number one receiver in Odell Beckham. And I, and I agree. I think he's got that right mentality. I don't think every quarterback is right to go to New York, but I think he is. He, he grew up in New Jersey, so he knows what that area is like. He's already handled one of the biggest stages in college football. So he knows what the spotlight's like. He knows how to handle that, which is what you need if you go to a market like New York. And I, I think it's a good situation where if they draft him, they can maybe start Eli Manning for another year, maybe give him a little time to develop and put him in a Patrick Mahomes-like situation where maybe he's room for a year, can come in in year two and take over that position. Now, a lot of times those things don't work out the way he is. So you draft him in that situation, he still might end up starting that first year. But I like that fit, and I think if you look at the top five teams, none of them really need a quarterback. So I think they're in a good position. I do think somebody's going to trade up into the top five and probably take Dwayne Haskins because you look at this quarterback draft class with Justin Herbert not being in it, I think it's pretty weak other than Dwayne Haskins. I think Daniel Jones is a guy they're saying is the number two right now. Maybe Drew Locke's in that first-round mix, but... To me, Dwayne Haskins is the only guy you look at who's that top 10 quarterback in this class. So I think you're going to have a few teams. Maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars are in that mix. Maybe there's a couple other teams who are willing to give up some future assets to try to move up and put themselves in a position to potentially draft Dwayne Haskins. So I'll I'll be surprised if he's not a top five pick, to be honest, because I think he's clearly going to be the top quarterback in this class if he declares. 
We did not talk about the Rose Bowl, but what's your pick? I'm going Ohio State 45, Washington 17, I think. Uh, Urban Meyer's final game, they're going to they're gonna go out, they're going to play at their best, and I think it's going to be a convincing one. Dan Hope, thank you for your time and your draft knowledge. And he's sitting over there, he's sitting over there saying, am I going to get invited? Ari Wasserman, come on over for Buckeye Talk. Everybody loves you. No, he's not coming over. No, he's coming over. Ari Wasserman, America's hero. You guys love him. You guys miss him. Back on Buckeye Talk, Ari Wasserman is here. Good to see you, Ari. You're going to call me co-creator? Yeah. Oh, yeah, co-creator. Yeah, co-founder. Co-founder. I mean, and uh, what do you call it when we did it in your apartment for three years? That's uh, that's something, we, too. What do we call – what was the initial name of it again? Do you remember? The Bad Podcast, The Bad Podcast. Right? The Bad po- Those were the days, man. Yeah. Feels good. Feels good to be back. So Ari has been uh, been gone for two seasons now, but um, you know we still talk, we still hug. Uh, what the thing I want to talk to you about? I want to do some big picture stuff here. What do you think Ohio State football is going to be like under Urban Meyer? Like, are you? I mean, under Ryan Day. Now that Urban Meyer is gone, like, do you? Is the world changing, or is everything about this basically going to stay the same? Are they supposed to be the best team in the Big Ten every year, or? Or is how people view Ohio State football going to change because there's not a legend running the program? There's a new guy. Well, when I when the, when Urban Meyer retired, I got a text message from a friend, and I told Bill about this text. He said, "What is it going to be like covering a team that's not as nationally relevant anymore now that Urban Meyer's leaving?" And it kind of took me back a little bit, thinking like, "Is that true? Like, is that is that right?" I agree. I think Bill emphatically disagrees. And I think Ohio State has its brand. Everybody knows Ohio State's got a brand. But I do think that Urban Meyer had a rock star rock star persona that this program takes a hit. And I think that there's this tendency that goes on with people who cover the team and people who read about the team of things are going to be just as good, if not better, when they lose things, when they lose assets, whether it's defensive backs, when they had all those guys drafted in the top few rounds a few years ago, or, you know... The defensive line when Taekwon Lewis and those guys left last year, and now with Urban, we got a younger, you know, fan voice. We got a younger, more energized offensive mind who's going to take this program to the next. No, I don't buy that at all. I think that Ohio State has gotten worse. Can they get good and better and on par in the long run? Sure, but that's his job. That's what he's going to be judged to do. But in the immediate future, I do think that this program got worse by losing him. Everybody makes a Lincoln Riley comparison. That is such a unique situation that he stepped in as a guy who had never been a head coach and has two Heisman winners and is in the playoff. Like that, that is not normal. I don't know that that to me is not what your expectation can be. That, and I don't think, again, I've questioned this, this hiring, but it's not that I don't think Ryan Day is good. I do think Ryan Day is good, but I think your point is, is a good one. And it's just like, I think it's going to take a little bit. Even people have made the point, Dabo's got it rolling at Clemson now. He didn't. It, it didn't happen overnight for him. He had to have a couple years to build into this, and it's just going to be very interesting if Ohio State goes 9-3 and three the next two years, which isn't bad. It's still good. You're still going to have some good wins in there. You're just not going to be in the playoff discussion. As we've talked about, I thought in the playoff era, the issue for Ohio State is not making the playoff. It's being in the playoff discussion basically the whole year. And all five years of the playoff, they've been that. Right. That's a good, that, that was a really good point, too. I remember we were at McDonald's when you made that point, and I've thought about that a lot. Being in the atmosphere is important. And so what, what's going to happen 
if they lose their second game in week five next year and they're three and two and no two-loss team has ever made the playoff and all of a sudden they're, they're, we're trying to figure out are they going to go to the Citrus Bowl or the Outback Bowl or whatever the lower bowls are. I, didn't, I don't even know what the lower Big Ten bowls are anymore because it hasn't been an issue at Ohio State for 16 years. What do you, How do you think people would react if that happens? And if that happens, that's not failure. That would be normal for a young coach if if you went nine and three and nine and three. But how do you think the world around it would react? I'm happy that you asked this question because I'm not going to answer it yet. I think what's funny is the question that you asked uh, at the press conference with Chris Peterson and uh, Urban Meyer about Alabama and Clemson getting ready to face each other (coughs) in the third or fourth year in a row and what's the deficiency I thought it was a very good question, and, you know, obviously it was kind of the similar answers that we had been getting all year, but what is the difference? And between Ohio State being in the playoff and not being in the playoff, he owned up to it. It was him, right? It was coaching. That's the funniest thing to me. Ohio State has been Ohio State because of talent accumulation. And until a full recruiting class comes through that isn't recruited by Urban Meyer, Ohio State still has the crux of what I think is an elite program. But when you look at the deficiencies, and we've written about this over and over and over again, even back to the days when I was at Cleveland.com, Ohio State's biggest deficiency, in my opinion, the last three years with Urban Meyer was game day coaching and preparation. So if Ohio State has the talent that made Ohio State great, I think it's possible that Ohio State will make the playoff next year and then go 9-3 and three for the second and third years once they start losing the Urban talent. And I think that's a, like a crazy way of looking at it. Maybe I'm wrong. So I wrote my story off that question like at midnight tonight. Yeah. And I wrote the exact same thing you just said. That the, the recruiting is there. The facilities are there. The foundation is there. What is it? It's coaching. And it's like it's not urban coaching. But if you look honestly, it is crazy to think about. They won the national championship in 2014. In 2015 and 16, their offensive coaching was absolutely a problem. When Tim Beck and Ed Warner were the co-offensive coordinators for two years. We all know it. It's why they lost the 2015 Michigan State game. We all all know the issues. This year, it's defensive coaching. That's the problem. Like, they got Ryan Day. Ryan Day helps fix the offense. And now, all of a sudden, the defense stinks. And we're talking about Bill Davis – and Greg Schiano and coaching issues. And it's like the coaching issues underneath Urban that I don't think, and now that we've learned that Urban had all these headache issues and stuff that were ongoing, I don't think Urban's lost it. But I think underneath him, he made some questionable hires. Maybe he wasn't on those guys at much, as much, but I do think the idea, you see this a lot, there's a lot of coaches who win with other guys recruits there's a whole list of coaches who have won national championships in their second year and all those pl- urban won a national championship in his second year at florida with ron zook's guys the idea that 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 ryan day could like get some of the coaching stuff fixed maybe he makes some better assistant coach hires and wins like with this seven these 17 and 18 recruits who are ranked number two in the country i think you're totally on to something yeah i mean that's what and it's just gonna take i mean the thing that Ryan Day has to do, in my opinion, is he's got to make some big boy firings and hiring. Like, <clears throat> the thing that's so funny, and we were down at the Heisman Trophy ceremony with Dwayne, um, I had a discussion with Andy Staples about what the difference he thought, because he has a, Andy Staples of Sports Illustrated, 
has a long relationship with Urban Meyer and covered him in Florida. What's the biggest difference between Ohio State and Alabama? That's like, to me, my dream story. How can you quantify it? How can you write it? And Andy Staples said it is the ruthlessness of Nick Saban's decision-making. If you're a quarterback who's not playing well in the national championship game, eat bench. If you get replaced during the week, bench. If you're not performing, you're fired. And there's no loyalty. There's no, you know what I mean? And I think that there is something to that. And I think if Ryan Day says, you know what, Bill, had fun in, in Urban's wedding, but you're not my guy, gone. Greg Schiano, you've coached at every level. You were an NFL head coach. Don't like your system, gone. And you go hire guys that you think can be put into the system, and then you match that with the 2018 and 17 classes, you have a really, really good football team. To me, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, Urban, I mean, Ryan Day's success at Ohio State is going to be based on one thing and one thing only. Can he assemble top five classes routinely the way Urban Meyer did? Right now, he still has the talent. He can fix the coaching stuff. Long term, he needs to recruit. I'm very curious about what he's going to be like as a national recruiter because Urban just had some things in place from Florida that allowed him to recruit nationally at Ohio State that I don't know that that can necessarily be your expectation that Ohio State's going to go get top kids from Texas the way they swept Texas a couple years ago. His first commitment in the 2020 class is a four-star kid from Washington State. So, like, I don't know if that the plan has to still be in place, you know, and I don't know what how that's going to be a sustainable thing. But I thought he did a pretty good job or the best job he possibly could at keeping the 19 class intact, and a lot of which were relationships that he built next to Urban. But this 2020 class, I think, is going to be the thing that will tell us, hey, is this guy built for this job or not? And I wrote that on signing day. And people thought, well, that's not fair. But they already have six or seven commits in the 2020 class. They're in the top three. They've got their quarterback. They've got a lot of pieces in place. If they finish with the top two or three class, then I think, well, maybe this guy could be dangerous. The thing, and, and I love the word ruthlessness, and I would use that word as well. And, and I think, and we'll end on this, and then I'll get your pick. You know what's pretty ruthless? Having a guy wait for two years as a backup quarterback and then trying to bring in a transfer who's the number two player in the right. country and drop him right on his head. And that is, Tate Martell said, I think I've earned the chance at this job. And Ryan Day, it seems like, is trying to go get Justin Fields. And that is not about loyalty. That is all about how what is gives us the best chance to win. I want the best players at all costs. And on the ruthlessness meter, I think if you think ruthlessness is a key to be truly elite, I think you should like Ryan Day going after Justin Fields. I think that's a really good point. I, I, somebody made the comment, well, Tate Martell better leave. Like somebody made the comment, I can't remember who it was, but made it to me the day Urban Meyer retired and said, well, Tate Martell better go transfer now. Because I think people just assume that Tate Martell's been in the program. Ohio State's really given the jobs at all positions to the guy who earned it, right? Nope. It just says be the best. Who's the best? Is, is Ohio State's offensive guard play up to par? Nope. Okay. Forget it. Michael Jordan back to guard. Josh Myers in the center now. Immediately in the middle of the year. That stuff didn't happen. Can you think of one situation in his entire tenure? We've been covering this team together for seven years where he did something like that. Even with Corey Pittsburgh-Brown his in 2013, might have cost Ohio State a trip to the national championship game because he waited too long to play Von Bell. Why? Because of deserving? Who's deserving? Is there one, has there been one move no. like that in his entire tenure? No, I mean, it's – well, and even like the Steve Hellwagon is, is here with us at the table. I just and threw just, in a Brendan White. I just threw in a Brendan White. Should have been playing 
six weeks earlier than he was. Steve Hellwagon from 247 Sports and Bucknuts. And, and to Steve's point, Brendan White only played because Jordan Fuller got ejected. It was forced on them. Chris Olave, who was the star of the Michigan game, only played because Austin Mack got hurt and was forced on them. You know what? Chris Olave probably should have been in there, like, instead of Ben Victor or getting some snaps at someone else's expense. And, and I think it is a valid point. Now, it's hard in sports to say that loyalty is a bad trait, right? I mean, loyalty is a value that in every other walk of life, loyalty is near the top of the list of characteristics you would want in a person. But I do think in sports it is possible to be too loyal. And and I, it's hard I don't know that – you know what? If you asked Urban Meyer – and I don't know if we'll ever get a chance to really sit down and try to dig in with this with him. I would love to ask Urban Meyer if that's what it takes to compete with Saban. You've got to be Saban to beat Saban. You've got to be him to beat him. Is it worth it? Would you want to be so ruthless that you benched JT Barrett after the Oklahoma game last year and started the clock on Dwayne Haskins? Or would you rather say, you know what? JT Barrett finished his career as a loyal Buckeye. We finished fifth. We won the Big Ten Championship. We won the Cotton Bowl. I'll take that. If, it, if that's what it took, if, if getting to the playoff took benching JT Barrett, I don't want to get there. Or would you say, you know what? I will do whatever it takes. I don't know what he would say. Here's the thing. And I don't want to open up a rabbit hole here and go down because it could be in a whole other hour-long podcast. But I was in Las Vegas for the holidays, and I had a long drive back. Um, from Vegas to Phoenix to visit my family. And I was in the car for six hours, and I listened to the Aaron Hernandez podcast done by the Boston Globe, which I thought it was a fascinating podcast. Um, and I know this kind of might seem like people are going to, don't freak out, just, just bear with me. They just went through Aaron Hernandez's life, childhood, college days, pros, you know, and they went just through how something like this could happen. And there was an episode about, it was called... Gator Nation. And it was an hour-long podcast about his time at Florida. And I'm not saying anything good or bad about Urban Meyer, but I listened to that podcast and I thought, holy crap, this is not the Urban Meyer that I know. And I think that he changed drastically. And everybody knows all about the contract and spending more time with family and all that, but I think he is a completely different human <coughs> than he was when he was the coach at Florida. And I think if he were the coach at Florida, he would have benched JT. And they won two championships in three years when he was like that. I think he changed his entire persona as a human being. And people talk about the rebirth of the program. What about the rebirth of Urban Meyer? Because I think that that's just a fascinating discussion. I don't know if that took a really bad turn for you, but that's just kind of what I think. He would have done it. And, and I've said along the way, and I've written this at times, that I don't think Ohio State wanted Florida Urban Meyer. They didn't. No, they didn't. And I, and I think that he came here not wanting to be Florida Meyer. And I'm not saying, like, from a discipline standpoint, I'm, don't read in between the lines of – I'm not making parallels with Urban and, and discipline or anything like that. I'm just saying the way that he ran the Florida program and the way that he did things down there could not have been any more different night and day at Ohio State than it was down there. And it was a very quick turnaround. It was one year. He didn't have a lot of soul-searching time to do I mean, he came up here, and maybe Gene Smith sat him down and said, this is how we're going to do it. <coughs> but – that is, to me, the, the craziest thing about Urban Meyer's career, just how, how he was two different people at two different places. And I do think that's part of what burned him out right. at Florida is that he didn't want to be that Urban Meyer anymore. And being that Urban Meyer was very hard on him. And then he came and he could be a different Urban Meyer. And you know what? If that's if, And I think he would say this. If that's the choice, 
all the stuff, the real life Wednesday stuff, the type of guys that you commit that they have had very few off-field issues with players. Even Zach Smith, when the Zach Smith stuff happened, I said, Zach Smith's a Florida remnant. As much as he is Earl Bruce's grandson in Ohio State through and through, he was at Florida. The first stuff that happened with Zach Smith and his wife and then his ex-wife was stuff from Florida. That was the beginning of that. That was Florida stuff trailing Urban Meyer here. I think in the end, Urban Meyer would say all this other stuff, all everything that is good about the new Urban and the new way of doing business, if the one thing that is, that is, quote, bad is that I'm too loyal and I'm not ruthless enough, I'll take it. Too bad. I would rather be the person and the program that I am and that we are and if it if it if it take, took a level of ruthlessness to basically bench a legend to to win a national title, I don't know if I want to live in that world. What what's your Rose Bowl pick? Ohio State thirty four, Washington seventeen. So this, I mean, again, this could be we could do we could do a nine part series on the the rebirth of Urban Meyer. I mean, I've got so much more so much more to go in the tank, but I think you've got to make your round. So yeah, it's uh forty six minutes in. So. It's a daily. It's a daily one, so I'm not doing two hours. I'm just doing the shorter. Okay, one. cool. So, but Ari Wasserman, good to be back. I just shook Doug's hand for the first time in like five years. Yeah, it felt good. That was that was kind of weird. We usually yeah. just like, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, thank you. That's Ari Wasserman. We're gonna wrap this baby up. I could go all night with the tremendous Ohio State beat. Is this closed? It looks like it's closed, man. Good night. They, they closed it on us. Um, that's gonna do it for Buckeye Talk. We will be back with a final daily Buckeye Talk from the Rose Bowl after the Rose Bowl on Tuesday. 5 p.m. start, Ohio State versus Washington for now. Thanks to James Grega. Thanks to Dan Hope. Thanks to Bill Landis. Thanks to Ari Wasserman. Thanks to you guys for listening. I'm Doug Lee Maurice. And that was Bucket Talk. Bucket Talk.